Hey everybody, I'm Jamin. You're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. My guest today is Ken Roshkoff, president at AMC Global, formerly Attitude Measurement Corporation. Founded in 1989, AMC Global was founded on their proprietary purchaser follow-up tool, which gathers feedback from real purchasers of new or restaged products immediately following launch. Ken has held this position at AMC since their early years. Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jamin. It's great to be here. This message is brought to you by Displayer. How much of your analysis and reporting time is spent doing manual tasks? All that cutting and pasting, formatting, checking for mistakes, redoing work, using too many tools, and trying just to figure it all out. Try Displayer today. It's software that automatically does the painful tasks for you. Thousands of companies already use Displayer to cut their analysis and reporting time literally in half. I use the platform, I love it, and I know. Get a demo and a free trial at displayer.com slash happy, spelled D-I-S-P-L-A-Y-R dot com forward slash happy. This episode is brought to you by SurveyMonkey. Almost everyone is taken at surveys, but did you know that SurveyMonkey offers complete solutions for market researchers? In addition to flexible surveys, their global audience panel and research services, SurveyMonkey just launched a fast and easy way to collect market feedback with seven new expert solutions for concept and creative testing. With built-in customizable methodologies, AI-powered insights, and industry benchmarking, you can get feedback on your ideas from your target market in a presentation-ready format, by the way, in as little as an hour. For more information on SurveyMonkey's market research solutions, visit surveymonkey.com slash market research. That's surveymonkey.com slash market research. I found it interesting that you were part of, I guess, AMC Global. Now I've got to get used to saying that for 30 years. I'm really curious. Tell us a little bit about your parents and how they informed your career. So I actually grew up around market research. My father founded our company in 1979. He was a true researcher, loved to be in the data, crunching the numbers and doing the project work. My mom was in the business for a while as well. She worked in our accounting department and they were super supportive parents, took every opportunity they could as I was growing up though, to drop hints and mention ways that I could fit into the business. When I came out of undergrad, I was a marketing major, decided to give it a shot and confirmed for myself, I absolutely hated it. At the time we're doing lots of work for agricultural chemical companies and industrial chemical companies, and it just wasn't that interesting to me. So um, I was always more interested in consumer packaged goods and decided after about eight months in the business to go back to grad school and get an MBA. And um, when I was coming out of grad school, I decided to give my dad's company another shot, but thought I'd go about it a little bit differently. And rather than you know, running projects that were focused on industries I had no interest in, I decided I wanted to try and sell projects into major CPG companies. I basically took a methodology that my father had developed for his clients to generate extremely high rates of response for mail surveys. And I applied this to the CPG space. And this became what's known today as our PFU program or purchaser follow-up. And um, 
during the process of building out this program, I also got a number of patents approved. So the whole experience of developing a unique methodology, marketing it to major CPG companies, you know, selling in my own projects, learning on my own projects, as well as you know, applying for and being granted several patents along the way. You know, all of these things kind of contributed to hooking me on a long-term career in marketing research. So, I mean, paper surveys, people probably don't, unless you know, you're old like me, you, know, you really don't have an appreciation. I, I, I remember doing multiple market studies and the volume of paper, right? The administration around distributing the, this actual surveys, paper-based surveys to markets was, like, it was a big logistical challenge. Were you exposed to a lot of that growing up? Uh, I was definitely exposed to a lot of paper-based surveys, and there definitely were logistical challenges involved. Very happy that things have kind of moved well beyond that at this point. The internet has done great things for our industry and just makes everything so much easier. Did your parents have you involved in helping with more of the, the basic type stuff in your formative years? Oh, yeah. You know, being a little kid around a business like this, um, I grew up working in our coding department, did a little bit of tab work, a lot of collating surveys and, you know, back to the paper-based stuff you mentioned, putting a lot of those together or stapling them, you know, getting them off to um, you know, telephone interviewing facilities that we're going to be doing the pencil and paper interviews. But uh, clearly, I think we're dating ourselves here. <laughs> it's, 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 it's amazing how the internet, because it, you know, obviously is, is a digital environment, has aided us so tremendously in getting rid and stripping away a lot of that old school or manual work. I am interested though, you know, today is election day in the US and paper ballots are still a part of the process, oddly enough. Are mail surveys, have they stabilized? There's some that are still, some projects that still require a mail-based data collection. Do you think that space is pretty much hit the spot where it will reside for the foreseeable future? I think so. I don't see it. I certainly don't see it growing from this point. Mm -hmm. If anything, I think it's going to start to taper off. Got it. Let's talk a little bit about AMC Global. In your product description, and I found this super interesting because I haven't seen this in any other product description before, real purchasers is capitalized. So the term real purchasers is in all caps. Why is that? So this is referencing one of the key benefits of our PFE program, especially when it comes to new product launch research. Many companies are offering panel-based solutions for capturing insights from consumers who claim to be purchasers of specific new products. What our clients often tell us is that after doing further digging, they often find that many of the consumers who are participating in their surveys who claim to have purchased did not actually purchase the appropriate product. And with our PFU program, it really enables us to be 100% certain that the respondents who participate in our surveys are actual purchasers or real purchasers of our clients' products and that they've made the purchase within the past day or so. And the ability to guarantee insights from real purchasers and the speed at which we can provide these insights are two of our key differentiators. I mean, with many of the more traditional panel-based solutions, depending upon the product category, it could take six months or longer until enough consumers claim to have purchased the new product being tested. And our view is that waiting six months or more to field a study among consumers who claim to buy a certain product is taking way too long. By this time, if results are not positive, the product could already be headed into a downward spiral. So 
the way that we've built out our program, the PFU methodology, it utilizes in-pack or on-pack survey invitations that are designed in such a way that they're not going to impact the purchase decision. And these invites typically incorporate what we call a response cash incentive system. And this is what drives extremely high rates of response among early purchasers of our clients' new products. We start getting results as early as day one of a new product launch. So many of our clients come to us because they want to be able to generate the information they need from their new product purchasers as early as they can possibly get it in order to make sure that the product, the package, and their marketing plans are performing as anticipated. And you know, having these insights so early in the launch can really enable our clients to take corrective actions early on if any kind of modifications are needed. And if we determine that everything's going really well, we can wrap the results up into a retail selling story that our clients' sales teams can use when they're calling on key accounts. So are you, I'm trying to think through what that looks like. Is it a post-purchase intercept? Or are you generating the lead for the company? So we place a little limitation, you know, either on the package or in the package. So when a consumer happens to buy one of the few products that actually contains this invitation, they're responding to us. You know, they see this this invite. Typically, there's an offer for you know, some sort of incentive. Usually it's a prepaid cash card that they're going to receive after they participate in multiple phases of our research program. So the beauty of the whole program is there's no screening involved. People are recruiting themselves essentially by buying the appropriate product. And it's in a real world environment after the products have been mass produced, um, shipped and handled, tossed in shopping carts, you know, consumers are buying it with their own money and using it in a real world environment. So it provides the most accurate information immediately post-launch. Most seasoned researchers have heard of Attitude Measurement Corporation. I know I was really excited uh, in my previous company to you know, have the opportunity to even pitch you guys. <laughs> Why the rebrand to AMC Global? So the decision to change our company name was not an easy one, but there are several reasons why we went ahead and did it. First, Attitude Measurement Corporation is a mouthful. <laughs> Early on, I used to do lots of um, cold calls, and every time I had a Sarah company name, I would cringe. It was too long, and it was also a bit too descriptive. We do a lot more than just attitudinal research. You know, many of the studies that we run involve behavioral components. Sometimes it's observed behavior. Other times, it may be claimed behavior. Sometimes we're using implicit techniques to get at the subconscious of consumers. I should also mention, you know, many of our clients were already beginning to refer to us simply as AMC. And um, the global came into play because we wanted to play up the fact that much of the work we were doing is actually global in nature. So it just seemed to make sense to transition into AMC Global. Believe it or not, I actually started planning for the name change in the early 90s. You know, I think around the time when we had to come up with a a website and our domain name for our emails, we made the website amcglobal.com and our domain is at amcglobal.com. So we knew ultimately the plan was to go there, but it took a while to actually make the official transition. We didn't actually do it till maybe five years ago. Was it just like a slow transition or was it a, was there an impetus for, okay, now we got to do it? I think it was just the fact that so much more of our work was becoming global in nature and Attitude Measurement Corporation, it just sounded really dated. So I think it was around the time we did a major 
rebranding of you know the company or website. We just figured let's just do it all in one shot and update the logo and everything as well. And the nice part about how you guys did it, the rebrand is you didn't l- really lose any brand equity or SEO because you know it is an acronym. And sure. so that's one of the things I've seen is you'll have these mainstay like big companies. I mean, SSI is a good example. Uh, Survey Sam- Sampling International was a just such an iconic brand in our space. All of that brand equity that was built up over the years was subsequently lost during the acquisition of Research Now, now combined into called Dynata. So those are, while they might seem, you know, it's just a name, it's just a name, but um, those can be very disruptive across the board, especially to like organic search on Google. But I think it's, you know, for some of these companies, it, it just makes sense. It's more keeping with the times. It's everything seems to be streamlining and why not streamline the, a long kind of old fashioned company name? <laughs> yeah, 100%, 100%. In terms of your lead flow, do you get a lot of leads through or do you get leads through um, uh, the website or um, is it more traditional kind of outbound sales? It's a combination. I'd say... It's not as much traditional outbound sales at this point. I'd say most of our business comes from its repeat business, client referrals. Definitely the website has been more impactful recently. The last time we went through rebranding, we also started really integrating some you know, SEO and started being more, I guess, out there on certain social media sites, posting more and putting relevant content out there for clients and potential clients. And that's actually worked to drive more sales. We're at this fascinating point in market research where you've got a a cohort of new buyers coming in to buying authority. Then their comfortability with leveraging digital technology is much greater than previous generations in our space. And and now these individuals have budgetary authority. You know, my thesis is that we're going to see an increase on the importance of organic search results or SEO in our space because people are going to naturally turn to the internet as Google, how do I dot, 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 fill in the blank, that particular thing. And so it's just becoming critical that your company has an answer to that question, assuming that it's relevant to your business and your, and your customers. I'm not saying that it like, I'm not saying that social referrals are less important by any means, but because uh, those will always play a role. It definitely feels like we are stepped into, especially in context of the global pandemic. Absolutely. You've been in business for a little while. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Three decades. Given your view what are two of the biggest mistakes that companies make either doing or using market research? So a lot of companies these days have this emphasis on agile insights and they want everything faster and cheaper. And my view on this is you're, you're getting what you pay for. A lot of times they're making decisions, critical decisions based upon data that really is not the best quality. And, you know, doesn't provide the perspective that they should have when making some of these critical decisions. So the the tension there is, I actually think agile is probably one of the most overused words. Additionally, I don't even in truth know how many platforms or, or companies are actually agile, like capable of employing agile insights into mm-hmm. the decision-making process. It almost feels like this like funny, trendy word that we've applied to 
separate ourselves. But um, there's definitely been a trend in recent years. Gosh, recent years is like my entire career, right? It used to be the case, better, faster, cheaper, pick two. And now you got all three legs yep. right of, the, of the stool. Where are you seeing the costs being cut out at the expense of the, of the quality of the insights? I would say, you know, companies are relying on often the, like you said, the faster and cheaper, and they're not getting the better. And sometimes they're using panel-based solutions, which are just, frankly, not the optimal choice for addressing their, their business issues. Sometimes a more custom strategic approach and something that, you know, may end up costing a little bit more but will provide a higher level of quality overall and uh, more actionability is the way to go. It does feel like over the last five years, or maybe even less than that, like the last three years, there's been this, well, it doesn't feel like, I mean, quantifiably, it's the case. It used to be a case we had our average cost per complete or CPI was like a bell curve, right? And center of that bell curve was around six to $8. And now you can get presumably the same profile that used to cost you six to $8 at about a buck to a buck 50. And where my head goes with that is like, you think about all the different people or organizations rather that are involved in getting that respondent to the survey uh, or that person to the interview. There's at least three companies that are involved in that transaction. And then the fourth in that scenario is the participant. So like how much is the participant actually getting? Maybe 10, maybe 25% of the actual CPI as an incentive. And then they're expected to spend, you know, an exorbitant amount of time trying to qualify for the project. And then in addition to that, actually participate in the 15 to 17 minute survey. I think for some reason, we as researchers have just kind of like are really happy about paying less, but not asking the hard questions of like, does that actually make sense? The actual economics. I think the reason a lot of them can get by now, you know, and a lot of studies we're getting by with paying as little as a dollar per complete is because there are so many professional respondents out there that have signed up to be part of these panels. And they're just looking for opportunities to participate in surveys. We still do a lot of programs where, especially the PFU program that I mentioned previously, is one where we actually pay these respondents top dollar to get them to participate. We're often giving for our surveys 20 to 40 bucks per complete directly to the consumer. And we do it because we don't want just professional respondents. We don't want the people who want to vent about the product and either absolutely love it or hate it. We want those who love it, hate it, and everything in between. And the best way to get that and to get a representative sample, our view is to find True consumers out there, not those who are inclined to participate in, you know, marketing research panels, but get a truly representative sample of consumers, recruit them, and have them provide the insights that the clients need to make the decisions. Today is November 3rd, 2020, and we have probably one of the most important elections in my lifetime, in, especially in the context of the crazy year that we've experienced globally and even specifically in the States. Market research has gone through just a massive overhaul, qualitative research specifically being hit due to COVID, no one being able to do in-person and all of that 
research either being put on hold, stopped, or converted to digital. So with this unusual place where we're sitting, I'm really interested, what are three predictions that you have for market research in the next three years? Definitely think there's going to be more consolidation in our industry. I think um, lots of the big conglomerates are going to continue to gobble up the smaller players. I think new technologies will continue to grow in our space. There are going to be more offerings probably in the areas of video analysis, voice analysis, and machine learning. You know, I think that while technology is going to keep moving forward and there will be newer and more technologically advanced ways of trying to understand consumers' subconscious minds, these techniques are not going to fully replace the tried and true methodologies that provide the insights those in the C-suites of major corporations can truly understand. You know, I think it, it may be viewed as cool to leverage the latest you know, tech that's out there, but we've got to remember that the folks up in the C-suites are not all scientists. They still want to know what their target consumers have to say about their products and services, especially if things aren't going well. You know, it's certainly important to leverage the latest and greatest technologies, but you need to use the proper balance of methodologies in order to provide a complete understanding of what's going on with your target audience. So even though there will continue to be great new te technological advancements that companies, including AMC Global, will take advantage of, I still strongly believe that there's going to be a place for the more traditional attitudinal and behavioral insights that major corporations have been relying on for so many years. Glad to hear you say that. I actually completely agree with that sentiment. I think you're going to continue to see a plethora of non-researchers leveraging easy-to-use DIY tools. But to your point, like marketing research in context of the exec, the C-suite is going to be leveraging market researchers to conduct their studies because there is, I mean, there's a scientific rigor involved in, in what we do every day that is just like, you know, you can't replace it with a off the shelf product. Absolutely. Last question. What is your personal motto? Personal motto. They don't wait for opportunities, create them kind of feel like when it comes to growing a business, you can't just sit back and wait for opportunities to present themselves. You've got to get out there and be aggressive. My guest today has been Ken Roshkoff, president at AMC Global, formerly Attitude Measurement Corporation. Thank you, Ken, for joining me on the Happy Market Research Podcast today. Thank you, Jamin. Everyone else, it was an honor to be able to spend a little bit of time with you. If you found value in this episode like I did, I hope you'll take time to screen capture, share it on social media. If you tag myself, I will give you a free Happy Market Research t-shirt. That's all I've got for you. Have a great rest of your day.